Welcome to Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Sophisticated Property Investor podcast. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If this is your first listen ever, then we have a treat in store for you today. I am joined by the lovely Amanda Jarvis Doyle. Welcome, Amanda. How are you today? I'm awesome, Frank. Thanks. Excellent, excellent. And today we are going to be discussing, in fact, I'm going to be giving Amanda a bit of a grilling on how to get your deals over the line as swiftly as possible, because we all know that motivated vendors frequently require a really swift completion. But we're going to be doing that from a mortgage broker perspective. So how should you be dealing with your mortgage broker how should you be speaking to them how should you be communicating how often in what manner etc in order to get your deals over the line as quickly as possible so amanda you are highly experienced in your own business of getting deals over the line swiftly and meeting vendors sometimes exceptionally high expectations and you also helped a lot of clients to do the same in the epp business what what are your thoughts on this quite large area it is an absolute minefield um, we often talk about playing chess and it's definitely a huge game of chess when it comes to mortgages and um, getting them over the line the biggest factor for me is communication yeah absolutely i think communication is key uh, as well so in terms of novice investors and we see people at every stage on the EPP journey from doing their first deal and having just signed up the vendor all the way through to people that are doing 10 deals a year and have been doing that for a few years. If we think of the novice end of the spectrum, what mistakes do people make from a communication perspective? What do you frequently see and you need to steer them around? One of the biggest mistakes I see is novice investors look at mortgage brokers and solicitors as the experts and for that they sit and wait for the answers to come their way they're not proactive in saying what do you need next have you have you got any other any further information or do you need any further information what what do we need to do next in order to move this along so instead of taking control of the transaction and the things that are needed from the expert i in this situation the mortgage broker they kind of send it send in their information and wait for it to happen i'll tell you something that i've seen a lot is it's a lack of realization that the investor, the sophisticated property investor, normally will only have a few deals going through. So currently, let me just add it up, uh, 3.27.1. So I've got uh, 31 properties or units being purchased currently across four vendors. So I'm actually only dealing with four vendors at the moment. Um, I can keep in my head what they said to me last, whether they're away this week on holiday or whether they're not, whether they're in a real hurry or whether they're really chilled, et cetera, et cetera, because there's only four of them. 
but a typical mortgage broker might be dealing with 20 or 40 or maybe even 50 transactions at a time and so for for the for us or the novice investor to expect that mortgage broker to be working proactively it is a mistake to think that it's not unreasonable to think that though <laughs> so it's completely reasonable to think i'm paying you a few thousand pounds and if you don't think you're paying your mortgage broker a few thousand pounds um because you're only handing over a few hundred pounds then check your um, mortgage terms and conditions they are receiving payment from you and they're receiving payment from the mortgage lender so they typically are earning a thousand two thousand or, or more um in in fees and so it's not unreasonable to expect them to work proactively to be on top of the solicitors to be on top of what they require from you and the changing um requirements and demands of the mortgage lender but so often doesn't happen and i think that's the issue that novice investors expect the mortgage brokers to be on top of it and so if someone's listening to this thinking oh i've just signed up a deal i've instructed my mortgage broker um how would you recommend that they communicate more effectively than amanda you've kind of said don't leave it to the broker because the likelihood is they won't care about the deal as much as you and that's absolutely true Mm -hmm. they might have a couple of grand in it for them and you might have a hundred grand or a couple hundred grand in it for you so how should they communicate for best results in my experience using a varied uh, communication phone and email i think i've got my the mobile number of most of my brokers I like to kind of pride myself on being able to get that information because a lot of mortgage brokers don't want to give that out. They'll just give a landline or um, a, a general inquiry line number out. Um, and I think if unless you can get to the person who is really, truly going to be holding your hand through this transaction. And I think that's that's key. You, you need to be working with somebody who's willing to hold your hand through the transaction because you're a team, aren't you? At the end of the day, we we want we both want it to go through. The mortgage broker and us, yes, they're making significantly less than we're potentially making. But unless we act as a team in order to get it through, then it's not going to be a success. You're not going to get the speed. You're not going to get the rate, rate of response that you want. And they're not going to give you the lenders necessarily that are working at the best rate at the moment. So it might be that there is a better rate available um, with a specific lender and you're, you haven't given your broker the information that actually speed is of the essence. That's more important to you than half a percent in rate um, in order to satisfy getting the deal across the line. Um so I think it's making yourself clear right from the outset what your expectations are, asking what their capacity is, because it is an important factor. If somebody is already bogged down, and we find this time and time again, don't we, Frank? We work with an amazing broker, and then all of a sudden they get really busy and their service level drops. Um, and so we have to make sure we've got a handful of brokers that we're working with in any one time that we can, we can be flexible with and, and, you know, move from one to another if we need to. Um, but I think the communication part of it is in, um, making your 
stand clear right at the at the outset is is key. I use a little acronym, and it's BDT, and what that stands for. And you've you've summarised it really effectively there, Amanda. I don't have you ever heard of me talk about BDT? I don't think I've ever trained it. I don't before. think I have. No, it's um, it's something that I run through when I pick up a deal, but I don't think I've even ever trained it on the EPP. Maybe we should slot it into our next monthly training day. Um, but you're hearing it here first, guys, on the podcast. Um, BDT stands for picking the right broker for the right deal at the right time. So broker deal time. And what I mean by that, and this will echo what Amanda has just said, is is the right broker, so when you're thinking, is this the right broker, you might have been surprised when Amanda just said she's got a team of brokers and she's got all their mobile numbers. You're like, well, why do you need more than one? Surely if you give all your business to one, they're going to value you more highly. They're going to, you're going to have more communication with them. They're going to make more money. You're going to be a more important client. All of that is very true, but I would still have a team, a team of solicitors, a team of refurb contractors, a team of mortgage brokers, because you need redundancy. You don't want any single point of failure in your sophisticated property investing business because things go wrong. People get sick. People have stuff changing their personal lives. People have problems in their businesses. People have team leave. People get busy. Um, and so having other experienced mortgage brokers who you have um one of my mates in business highly successful he runs a um a employment agency a temping agency for um contractors and um he travels the world now and and his business pretty much runs itself but he talks about um blooding his contractors <laughs> and what he means by that and I, I was in his office and it, on the board it was um new blood and uh, and then it was bloodied and I, I said I get the new blood bit those are clearly new guys that you haven't tried out much I said what does bloody mean said, we've tried them so much that we we know we know you know the color of their blood we know they're they're good and uh, and I like that um that expression of of, of bloodied so you want a few mortgage brokers who you've tested who you've had some issues on deals with and they've pulled through and they've got the deals over the line because many won't you know um one of my um solicitors in fact we've had um him on the podcast sam hawking he talks about uh, and again i've got his mobile number i can text him any hour of any day or any night because um he knows i would only text him if it was really important and um, if it is important, he'll generally get back to me in a few hours, regardless of what he's got going on. He told me a story about, um, cause I said, Sam, you, you know, you've really helped us on this deal. You've really dug us out of a hole. I wouldn't have been able to solve this myself. And, you know, we've now purchased this many properties. I would have lost this without you. And, uh, I said, I really respect you for stepping up to the plate and, um, doing me a solid because I don't think many other solicitors would have done you know it was a lot of hard work for a measly measly few fees for him and of course he sees the bigger picture in the business that that he gets from me and through all the epp clients that choose to use him um, and indeed you guys that you choose to use him on on the podcast and he said Do you know what frank I've, i'm a rugby man obviously from south wales we we both have that in common i played rugby in uh, in west wales actually and he's from south wales and he said i've seen it where uh, guys have gone in to a ruck um, 
and the team haven't gone in after them to support them. And he says it only ends one way and it's ugly and that guy gets beat up. Um, and I've seen it where a guy goes in and the whole team follow him in and there's solidarity and uh, you overturn the, the ball and you, uh, you end up victorious. And he said, I'm always the guy that's first in to support my teammate. And he said, uh, you know, I'll always be beside you, you, you in, in all your transactions, Frank, because you've been loyal over many years. And I think for me to have a professional say that to you, it doesn't matter if it's a mortgage broker, a solicitor, uh, an estate agent, doesn't matter. That That's brilliant. That's really good. But it's easy to say it. The tr- proof of the pudding is when it hits the fan and you need that person to step up to the mark and go the extra mile. Do you need them to work till 8pm one day? You need them to um, turn a document around. You need them to make a personal call to a lender in this instance, for example, or a BDM, business development manager at the lender, or a solicitor and say, look, I've checked A, B, C, D. Please, can you just bang out X now for us because it's holding Mm -hmm. this up? And... So when I say the right broker, and they, they, it can't just be a name and a number that's been recommended to you. It means you've done a deal with them and you know. And, and uh, I've got a few notes here on picking the right broker. It's too simplistic to say are they good or bad. For me, they need to be experienced. So a broker that specializes in regulated mortgages, those are mortgages where the borrower is going to live in the property, so homeowner mortgages, is highly unlikely to do enough unregulated business those are business to business loans so buy to let mortgages highly unlikely to do enough buy to let mortgages to be experienced enough in buy to let mortgages and have their finger on the pulse so are they experienced in the right areas if someone is set up on their own in the last few months they're probably not experienced enough i was at a family gathering uh, last year and one of my relatives is a is a broker. He was saying, Frank, I'd love to have a bit of your business. You know, uh, he was asking how many um, partners we have across the country now and how many deals they do. You know, and his eyes lit up when he, he heard how many partners there were and how many deals they do. And he said, um, I can give you a great kickback, Frank. You know, it's it's only an hour or two's work for me to, to do a mortgage. And, um, and I was trying to be polite. <laughs> I don't think there's many of our transactions that only take an hour or two's work. Well, precisely, precisely. <laughs> and when when someone's already talking about talking about how little work it's going to be, you know, and I, I, you know, I respect my family members and stuff, so I'm not dissing them. But it's horses for courses, isn't it? And so I just asked a few questions. I said, so who are you using at the moment for? Because I said, are you buy to let specialist or are you? Uh, homeowner specialist he said oh, I, I can do both I said okay which is a warning sign for me because you know jack of all trades master none and and I said so who are you using for um non-standard construction at the moment and he's like oh well um it's a bit of a tricky one isn't it and I said okay so um who would you recommend if we've got two kitchens in a property well that that generally makes it unmortgageable and I, I just asked like three or four questions and and he couldn't answer any of them and that doesn't mean he's a bad mortgage broker that's where it's too simplistic to say good or bad it doesn't mean he's a bad mortgage broker but he means it means he's not a good fit for me as a mortgage broker because my properties like you've just said Amanda <laughs> the, the transactions are not straightforward um, and that's why I'm happy to pay more more fees and I'm not interested one bit in a kickback because 
if someone discounts their fee by 500 quid or even a thousand quid, but then I lose a deal, it's just not worth it at all. So, so I look for experienced in my type of investing um, and do they have a good culture? And this sounds really simplistic, but are they honest? Do they put their hands up when they do something wrong and say, I'm sorry? That is such an uncommon thing in property. <laughs> I don't know why. I've had solicitors lie to me. I've had solicitors actually email me something that is factually incorrect and that I have written evidence to the, to the contrary. And like mm-hmm. you should just, you should think that solicitors should be above that. They should be okay, they should be okay to say, "I'm so sorry, I dropped the ball there. I didn't do that last week when I said I would." But instead, it's the whole. Um, blame game and stuff and that that culture I can't deal with I cannot deal with my team member whom I'm paying to help me in business lying to me you know and and when you boil it down to brass tacks like that it's really blatant that of course not but boy do we put up with it so are they honest Um, do they work hard are they like like, can you not get hold of them some of my um, previous power team members um, solicitors especially, but mortgage brokers as well. If you email them at one minute past five, I, you get an autoresponder saying, I'm back in the office at nine. Mm. And I'm not okay with that. If I cannot get hold of someone at one minute past five, then they're probably not got the personal culture that I'm looking for. Um, and do we have similar expectations in terms of how quickly deals can be done? If, if their expectation is that it's going to take a minimum of 10 weeks because the market's really busy at the moment, we're probably not on the same page. That's going to become self-fulfilling for them. It's going to take a minimum of 10 weeks because they're going to slow it down. Not not consciously, but subconsciously, we know how powerful those um, expectations are. And so they're probably not a good mortgage broker for me. So, so that first one of um, are they the right broker is all about them. The second part is for the right deal. So you mentioned you have a team of mortgage brokers. I, I have the same. They're probably very similar teams, if not identical. But you know that if you have a deal that's non, non-standard construction or a deal that has a commercial element, for example, or if it's a deal that has a um, resi above a uh, takeaway, notoriously mm-hmm. difficult to, uh, to mortgage, um, or perhaps a deal that requires um bridging and then turning that bridge into a standard white let for example um you would go to different brokers depending on the deal so it's the right broker mm. but the right broker might have all those personality traits might have all the experience but actually not be the right broker for that deal so you have to look i've at, had that recently frank actually you? do you want me to give an example of i'd that? love one yeah yeah. yeah, so um, I was... Um, and I, mostly, Amanda, because it will shut me up for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely when you, you interrupt my monologue. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had it recently where um, I was purchasing a leasehold flat um, and it was part of... So it had been purchased by the vendor from the council a number of years ago. Um, so there was there was no issue there with her selling, um, but there were six flats in this development. It's just a two story development, three on the bottom, three on on the first floor, and only two were privately owned. And I spoke to the broker that I've I've used loads of times, and he said 
I can't find a lender for you. There isn't a lender that will look at this because um, they're averse. Lenders are averse to uh, lo- local authority properties where not 50% of the, the units are owned. I haven't got a product for you. So you're not going to be able to buy this. So me being me doesn't take no for an answer. And um, just thought, right, okay, I need to go to some more brokers and, and put some feelers out. And lo and behold, there was a, a product, I think it was with fleet mortgages, um, slightly higher rate, but not significantly higher um, in comparison. It's a limited company, uh, buy to let, uh, not significantly higher than a normal rate would be. And it went through. Now, it wasn't without its its hiccups. It wasn't without its difficulties. The leaseholder took an age to get back um, with the information that was needed for the purchase. But um, the fact was here that I found a broker who was willing to explore the market further in order to establish whether or not you know there was was a product there that would be suitable i think the lending wasn't at 75 i think it was at 70 percent rather than 75 percent loan to value yeah but i was getting such a good deal that i decided to go ahead with it anyway um this was what i was adding into my own portfolio and so ultimately it's it's cash flowing it's tenanted and it It didn't actually need any work done to it either. It was in great condition. It would have been foolhardy of me to have just taken the word of the first broker and gone, well, I can't buy it, and walked away. Mm. Because they're the expert and they know. Um, and, And I think a lot of people would have done that. I think a lot of investors would have walked away from the... They'd had two sales fall through, and I suspect that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Initial inquiries had been, oh, I want to do it on a buy-to-let mortgage, and, and they come back and said, no, it, it's not possible on this property. Um, so, yeah, interesting one. But Absolutely. And it, and for sure, proves- you know, tenacity is, is incredibly important in our business. Um, if- and that's you being tenacious, but also your mortgage broker being yeah. tenacious. And, and it yeah. doesn't mean that that first broker is rubbish. It just means that it doesn't have a great relationship with Fleet, for example, because the best brokers have relationships. They're not just looking at a computer screen and going, you know, answering a few questions and going, oh, here's your three products. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to recommend the one at the top of the list because, like you say, it's 0.1% better because it may not be better. It might take five months to get the lending, you know, in which case mm. your, your, uh, your vendor's already gone on and whacked it into, more, into an auction. The broker being experienced also means that they're doing enough deals with the lenders that you need to be using to know how quick they are, to know how um, flexible those lenders are or how um, fastidious they are and and over the top. Brokers will say no one's got a hotline to the lender, and I disagree. Some of these lenders are quite, especially some of the challengers, so some of the non-institutional lenders, so some of the smaller guys, you actually can pick up the phone and speak to them. Some of the bridging companies that are notoriously small, you know, um, uh, or not notoriously, famously small. Um, I've, I've got the CEO's mobile number. I can chat to them about, in fact, I was recently, I had a deal and I said, I'm struggling to um, finance this. And he said, yeah, we don't have a, an appetite for that either, Frank. We can't help you on that. And I said, really? 
I said, you're a property investor. He said, yeah. I said, if I JV'd with you, if I give you 50% of this deal, would you buy it? He goes, oh, yeah, I'd do it then. (laughs) (laughs) And it just just goes to show, like, you're talking to a person at the end of the day. Now, do I want to give half of that deal away? No, it's quite a big deal. It's um, it's a few million. Uh, Mm. I think it's three million purchase, but probably four million value or something. I can't can't remember uh, precisely. Um, So there's a lot in it. Do I want to give away £500,000 of discount? No. But if I can't do the deal otherwise... Absolutely, I will. I'd rather the 500 in my pocket than, you know, going into auction and someone else earning it. So those relationships with, if if I'd just been a rubbish broker and just bounced it off the person in the office and they'd they'd spoken to the, the decision maker and the answer had come back down the chain, no, we're not interested. I would have gone back as a rubbish broker to my client saying, sorry, I can't get you funding. No one wants to fund it. But because I had a relationship, so if I'm the good broker that's got a relationship with that lender, and I go, look, there must be a way here. There's a million quid discount. Surely you have an appetite or one of your investors, because these all have high net worth individuals funding them. Yeah. Or some of them, there, they've got a big chunk of their own money. Um, like this CEO, he's got, I think he's got 800 grand of his own money in his um, bridging company. So, he, you know, he's got he's got some flexibility there so yeah I think you're absolutely right you do need to be tenacious I, th- I think as well um preparation's key Frank I'm, I've got a help visit this afternoon um and I purchased a property on this same street about five years ago and I know that we had issues mortgaging it because the properties were built they were built late 30s and they were built with 100% flat, flat roofs which is highly unusual and so I know that it's going to be tricky to mortgage. And so I've already I'm, lined up. I'm testing, already... My, I'm testing my memory, Amanda. I think the name of this street begins with G. Is it green something? It is. It's Greenland, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That, that's amazing. I can remember one of your deals from five years ago. Because I, I can remember you and I talking about this 100% flat roof. Yeah. I, I remember looking on Google Maps thinking, it is. It's completely flat. What's going on? <laughs> and the, whole, the, whole, the whole estate is a combination of flat and, and traditional. Um, and I've got another, I've got a help visit on another property on exactly the same street today. Wow. Um, so I've already lined up the broker. Yeah. Um, I've already had the conversation to say, right, okay, I'm going to have a look at this property today. Um, I, I actually spoke to them last week or next, uh, I'm going to look at this property next week. Um, just want to check. I've, you know, I've, I know I've, I've purchased one on this street before. I know it was a bit tricky, but have you got, bro- have you got lenders in your wallet at the moment that would, would lend on this? And they came back and said, yeah, absolutely no problem. That's brilliant because now you can go into that help visit with the vendor and yeah. you can say, have you, have you tried to sell this yet? And the likelihood is they, they, they may well have done. Did they have problems with mortgaging it? Oh, yeah, they've told me it's impossible to mortgage. The reason I ask is I've spoken to my broker and most brokers wouldn't be able to, but my broker has already found a product, so I know I can mortgage this. So the first thing is you're reassuring the vendor that you're one step ahead and they're like, oh, great. So Amanda's not like that plonker that's just wasted two months of my life trying to buy it when he hasn't got a hope. So that's the first benefit. But the second benefit is... You now know, A, how long that lender takes, because they aren't going to be growing on trees, lenders that will lend on a 100% flat roof. You might have two in the market, three, but not many. And the broker might have said, well, this lender's really slow. 
this one will only lend at 60% loan to value. So of the three, you've got this one that will lend at 75%, who's reasonably quick, and their interest rate is 5%. Well, 5% at the moment, for example, is high. You know, you, you'd, you'd hope to be getting it at 3.5% if it was a conventional construction. But now you can do all your calculations based on... 5% and that might mean that you don't pay quite as much for the property or it might mean that you know if it's a, a buy now pay later you're not able to give the vendor so much each month you might have to do it over a longer term but you, because you're full armed with that information you can make informed decisions or it might be that there's a great rate available 3% for example but only with a lender that is typically taking 12 weeks to lend. And so um, now you can position the vendor. Okay, so Mr. Vendor, because of the nature of your property, this is gonna take me at least three months to buy it. I will buy it. Um, I will expect to have bought it within four months, but it's highly unlikely I'll have bought it in the first two months. So tell me about your situation. Let's work out how we can make that work. Well, that won't work for me. I need three thousand pounds within the next six weeks your leaflet said that you can buy within 28 days i can't sell to you and you and i both know that well of course you can mr vendor let me give you three thousand pounds as soon as we've instructed solicitors that'll be in two weeks time oh wow yeah. okay brilliant yeah yeah i could wait four months then or let me i can't pay my mortgage anymore you know i need to pay my mortgage and my bills okay how much is that 500 pounds a month okay let me pay you that starting this month what, what what day of the month is it it's in three days time let me pay that for you in three days time and then i'll pay it to you every month on that same day so you don't have to worry about it until we complete ah oh, brilliant yeah i'll wait as long and now all of a sudden if it takes five months he's okay because we've solved his problem but you wouldn't have known that when you go into that help visit did you say it's later today yeah <laughs> what a coincidence. So you wouldn't have been in a position to make that win-win solution if you didn't know the lender's situation. So, yeah, it's a really good example, Amanda. You've chosen your broker, you know that it's right for the deal, um, and you know that they can work within your timescales. But f for me, the, the next stage is really where you have to have your ducks in a row. Before we get move on from BDT, yeah. the T is actually, is it at the right time? And what I mean by that is, is it the right time for the broker? So you have really good people on your power team that sometimes, if they take your work on, are going to do a poor job. Um, if I think of me last year, there were times last year where I couldn't service my clients as well as I wanted to because of what I was going through personally in terms of my, my grandparents passing, etc. And so... I, that doesn't make me a worse businessman. It doesn't make me a worse leader. It doesn't make me a worse supplier to my clients. But it was not the right time for me to be um, bringing on new clients, for example, because I wouldn't have done the best job. So if I was a mortgage broker at that stage, you wouldn't have wanted to use me as a mortgage broker, perhaps, even though I might have had the right personal culture, the right experience, I might have had the speciality and been the right broker for the deal, but it wasn't the right time for me. And it can be because my business, your broker's business is growing too quickly. It can be because your broker's taken their eye off the ball because they've started a new business. It can be because they're going through something personally, perhaps health, related or 
bereavement or separation or divorce it can be a number of things um mm -hmm. uh, i've got a client at the moment who's got quite a lot of trauma with one of their children and it, it, it just it, it means that they're not on their a game in in terms of, of work and so having that relationship and I, I can tell you now amanda my suppliers who trust me enough and have enough integrity to tell me when it's not the right time go up in my estimations i've got refurb contractors who will say to me frank um i'd love to do that but i cannot do like i i'll typically say i've got a two-week refurb it's going to be bathroom kitchen blah 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 and and i need it doing in the next eight weeks the ones that go yet 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 oh sorry frank and tell me six weeks later they're not gonna hit that deadline go down in my estimations the one that say the ones that say right up front i'd love to do that but I can't do it in eight weeks. I can do it in 12 weeks for you. In fact, I can fit it in, you know, second and third week of, of this month, go up in my estimation, because then I know where I stand and I can go, do you know what, I'm gonna phone around, but just keep that slot for me for a couple of days, because uh, I may well come back to you. Because now we're, we're operating on, a, on an honest basis and, and we know where, where we stand. And I've had solicitors turn down cases just conveyance and you think oh course, surely they want as much business as possible i respect them more for saying i can't give you the service i'd normally give you than for taking my business and then trying to slow the transaction down because they're too busy so um yeah that that t as in is it the right time to use this broker is, is critical i was moving on to um the next phase in in kind of you've, you've found your broker uh, you know it's for the right deal yeah and it's the right time for them yeah um and it was then sort of having everything at hand and ready in order to get over to them because yeah. that's when you've got to be responsive if you want something turning around at a swift pace you can't you can't be lax and slow <laughs> and getting stuff back to them can i share one of my notes with you amanda this will make you laugh right i wrote down in preparation for this podcast you can't be a two out of ten client but expect eight out of ten service <laughs> and that's exactly what you're talking about isn't it yeah. so you can't you can't sit on you know they say we need id and um, in fact we've had sam hawking um, on here our, our uh, solicitor and he said something very similar he's like we, we, we'll get an email op to open a file so we'll um send out client care and we require you know some money on account we require a passport and proof of address and we'll have nothing for three or four weeks and then they'll want to complete in a week and he said it's just it's just so unreasonable and so unhelpful and for me and on epp you'll know this we talk about the emotional bank account so if every time your mortgage broker asks you a question you take <laughs> a week to respond i'm laughing because i know people do this but when you ask them a question you expect them to respond in 24 hours you're being a two out of ten client and you're expecting an eight out of ten service whereas if you can turn your answers around, and we're not talking about sitting in front of your laptop and responding within an hour, but if they always get a 24-hour response from you, it's reasonable to expect a 24-hour response from them. And they'll probably give you that because they recognize that your deals are more likely to get over the line. They rec And then, of course, with time, they'll realize that your, light, your deals do get over the line because they only get paid. Estate agents and mortgage brokers 
typically, sometimes they'll take a little bit of a fee up front, but normally they get the bulk of their money when the deal successfully completes. So if your deals fall through because you are lax and you're a two out of 10 client and you aren't on top of your vendors, because how you do one thing is how you do everything. If you're not on top of your mortgage brokers, you're probably not on top of your lawyers, you're probably not on top of your relationship with your vendor, your deals are likely to fall through. And we, we, we study this, don't we, on EPP. We have some clients who have an incredibly high conversion rate from sign up to completion. And most people think, well, if you sign up a deal and you've got an option, of course it's going to complete. No, <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they, they fall through because people change their minds, people lose faith, deals take too long. Some of our clients, it nearly is 100%. They might do 25 and lose one or something. That would be a 4% failure rate, wouldn't it? Um, but others it's remarkably high. It might be they do eight and lose one or two. And there you think, what is going on there? You know, that's a, 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 is that a 12 and a half. Um, well, it's between a 25 and a 12 and a half percent failure rate. So that's, a, that's multiple times higher than the first example. And in each case, every deal has already signed up. So what's different? Well, it's, it's that how you do one thing is how you do everything. So yeah, I agree a hundred percent, Amanda. Have you got any tips for, for the listeners on how they can be a 10 out of 10 client? It's making sure that you've got your bank statements ready, your ID. Um, A lot of people don't realize that your um, council tax bill can be used all year, all year round. So when you're being asked for ID, um, that has to be within a certain amount of time. So it's typically three months for a bank um, statement or a yes. utility bill, yeah. Um, if you scan in your council tax bill, then that's one of those documents that you can use. It's one less that you've got to find that's within three months. And now you don't have to find something every few months. You've got, you've, and it's because your council tax bill only comes once a year, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great little hack that I like it. Yeah, so that that's one of them. Um, and the other one is just to... Um, really just keep on top of your paperwork, keep on top of your filing. Um, because if you're not and you've got to scratch about or trying to find your login and then you can't remember your login and um, for, for your know, online portals, then that's what takes you the time. It becomes mm. frustrating and you, you, you then sort of, it delays your process in, in getting your, your documents back. So be on top of it. You know, when, you, when your water bill comes, scan it in. Um, and have it on file so that if anybody needs anything, that you can you can just access it quickly. Mm, absolutely, and I think it's worth highlighting all lenders with a very very small degree of flexibility ask for the same information. So, if you've got a portfolio, they're going to want to know every address of your portfolio. They're going to want to, and you can create a spreadsheet on this before you've even got a deal. You can create a spreadsheet, and I'll run through it roughly now. This is off the top of my head as opposed to actually reading my spreadsheet. But they want to know the address of every property. They want to know what kind of tenant you've got in there, DSS or uh, working. They want to know if it's a HMO. They want to know if it's a service accommodation or holiday let. They want to know if it's on a single ST, so family let. Um, they'll sometimes want to know if it's furnished or not. Um, they'll want to know what the mortgage uh, payment is each month. They'll perhaps want to know the lender, so why not just put that in? They'll perhaps want to know the interest rate and whether it's 
fixed. So why not just have all that in there? They often want the term as well. So they want to know if you've got lots of fixed rates ending at the same time. Exactly. And, and it all makes common sense, doesn't it? That, you know, if you were lending money to someone, you want to know what their exposure is. Um, they'll want to know what the rent is. They'll want to know if you've got an agent managing it or if you manage it yourself. They'll probably want to know what the agent's commission is. They want to see the net profit each month from each property and then they'll want to see a total they'll want to know the loan to value so you need to have up-to-date valuations on your portfolio now all of this stuff is quite reasonable to ask for i think but it's also very time consuming to get in a hurry like how can you value your whole portfolio it takes ages mm-hmm. and they they are not going to take your word for it they're going to do desktop valuations on your portfolio so if you're just oh it'll be something like this and you're out by you know 10 15 percent that's going to be a red flag for them and if you're also out on you know you're in your um uh, interest rate or it doesn't quite add up to you know especially if you're <laughs> if you quote one of the mortgages you already have with that lender and it's incorrect in some way, that's going to be a massive red flag. So it's worth spending some time. And that whole spreadsheet for a portfolio of maybe seven properties, so a relatively small portfolio, that spreadsheet could take you 15 hours, 20 hours to compile accurately, um, depending on you know how um, detailed your records are at the moment, how on top of your paperwork, if you're really on top of your paperwork, it could take you an hour to compile, but it could easily take you 15 or 20 hours. And so it's really worth having that. And you really should be updating that every quarter because tenants will move in, tenants will move out, rents will go up, uh, mortgage rates will change, etc. But having that portfolio spreadsheet to hand is really helpful. Now, you know that they're also going to ask for the bank accounts showing all those rents coming in. So you also need to be saving your bank statements and they're not going to accept those from six months ago. They're going to want to see the last three bank statements. So don't, you know, if you do online banking, don't leave all your statements in your online portal that gives you a big job to download them then forward them every month either you or your pa download your statements and put them in a folder so when they say can we see the last three month statements no problem here you go and that's how you can give everything to your mortgage broker within 24 hours because some people listening to me saying that would go my mortgage broker when i send them a, uh, a deal they it takes me a week to compile everything they need and my point is it shouldn't do because you should have it all compiled because none of it should be a surprise so bank accounts showing your monthly income from property your monthly expenditure from property of course if that's all out of one bank account that helps they're also going to want to see your personal bank account showing your personal mortgage going out, showing your living expenses going out, showing your income coming in. And of course, that needs to tally with your declared income. Also, they're going to want to see your tax returns because they're not going to take your word for it that those properties are performing exactly like that. Even if you've got three months bank statements, they're going to want to see your tax returns. So don't be asking your um, accountant for your tax returns for the last financial year. And sometimes it's two or three years when your mortgage broker asks for them. Ask for them now so you've got them in your bank, in, in your bank, <laughs> you've got them in your, your file, ready, yeah. electronically scanned, ready to pop over 
the same day that your mortgage broker asks for them. So I think you're absolutely right, Amanda. A lot of this can be made very simple and very easy. Um, I've, I've got another couple of tips, actually. Yeah, I'd love so, it. so one of the things that I've recently been asked for that I haven't been asked for before, and so now um, I have a, a spreadsheet with all the information on, um, is um, EPCs. I was asked for in all you're, you're kidding me. Sorry. I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a minute. They're asking you to provide EPCs. So they, the broker couldn't move forward onto the next page of the application portal until they put in the EPCs for every single one of my properties. Oh, that's hilarious because the lender, an EPC is public record. So it's so easy for the lender to go check them, but they're asking you to do their work. That's hilarious. And again, that, that will take you five minutes per property. And if you've got 50 properties, that's, that's, that's a half a day job, isn't it? Yeah. So, so, yeah. so I've now just put got a spreadsheet together and put the links for each of my properties, EPCs onto a spreadsheet. Yeah. So that if, if it's needed, I can just copy and paste them. Now I haven't actually got to go and find them. Yeah. Brilliant. And, um, and, and put them in it's the first time i've been asked for it yeah um but you know the chances are that it'll, if if one broker's lender's asking for it another broker another lender will start asking for it exactly in the future yeah um and the other tip is uh, keep keep your Experian credit reports um so i have it i have the app and i can check that at any time because they want to know what your credit card debt is they want to know what your lending is um, on other other items, and it, it will show on your experience on your experience report. And then when you're putting those figures in, they're accurate to to the, today. Yeah. Or to the last time the report was run, um, and so you're not guessing. And that is so important because your estimate could be more accurate. So you might go, "Oh, normally, I at the end of the month I have three grand on my credit card." So. And it, it's cleared every month. So it ranges between zero and three grand. So I'm going to say 1500 quid. So you might estimate it really accurately at 1500 quid. But on the day that you submit it, you put 1500 quid. It's actually at 2800 because it happens to be the end of the month. And yeah. they're going to go to Experian and check. And they're going to see 28 and you've declared 15. And they're going to think, mm, that's nearly double. We feel a bit uncomfortable about that. Whereas if you've checked exactly where they're going to check, they're going to see, oh, yeah, it's spot on. And, and of course, you can put down, you wouldn't put down 28, you'd put £2,854.73. And they're going to go, oh, wow, she knows her numbers here. And if all of that information is turned around, I, I, I believe, I can't evidence this, but I believe that lenders also look at how quickly you respond to their inquiries. I think that's part of their selection process. And I'll give you an example of this. Bodies or organizations that collect data are becoming so sophisticated now. So um, I had a client who had a VAT um, investigation opened against them. And um, in my accountant's experience, they ask some questions and then they come out and inspect you. So they've noticed something. So they pop a filter over your business and they expect the numbers to fit in the gaps. And if the numbers don't, based on their understanding of your business, they'll ask you some questions. So this client got a few questions and within a couple of working hours, sent back a comprehensive spreadsheet showing their whole 
year of VAT, not just the last quarter. And on the spreadsheet, it answered every question. So basically, they just sent their, 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 their VAT numbers were so up to date that they could just send it almost instantaneously. And in their answers, in the email, they said, as you can see in cell A3 on sheet four, um, this is the number. And answer to question three is here on this cell, et cetera, et cetera. And the, it was the first time, now my accountant, who I think we've also had on the podcast, Dave Allen, had never seen the VAT investigation shut so quickly. They didn't even come out to inspect the hard copy files. It was so overwhelmingly comprehensive and accurate that they were like, we're happy. We're happy that this person knows what they're doing and is on top of it and that the filter didn't quite fit. I think that lenders are similar. So had that taken a week to get back to HMRC, I'm sure they would have come out because anyone can create a nice detailed spreadsheet in a week. But it was the fact that it took a couple of working hours to go from them to the accountant to HMRC. And so I think if every time the underwriter asks a question or the lender asks a question, you can bang back the answer really swiftly. It just shows that you're on top of it. So that's a really good tip that is using the Experian credit report for that answer. I've never done that. Maybe that's why my mortgages take longer than yours, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) As you learn as you go along, don't you, Frank? Mm. And it's... um it's interesting to to sort of apply what you learn pay slips is another one that you know people often don't keep their pay slips mm. or don't have access to them that can often take um quite a while to get hold of and and send across um i've been asked for my marriage certificate recently as well and um i cannot find one for the life of me yeah. i got married 10 years ago i've got a mortgage with that company and they've now asked me for my my marriage certificate it's like but you already got a mortgage with them that's funny already, isn't it? i know yeah. i've already got a mortgage with them but they want to see my marriage certificate i tell you one that i have to show you sometimes is uh, in fact my wife has to share is her divorce certificate because some of her mortgages are in her maiden name and then she's since uh divorced and then married me and so she's actually got three different names on some of her documentation. And just knowing that, so she has in the folder that we use for applying for mortgages, we've got her divorce certificate and her marriage certificate. Now, her yeah. marriage certificate um, is in, uh, in St. Lucia. And so we also have a document that shows that a St. Lucia marriage certificate is is uh, valid in the UK, yeah. you know. So it's just, yeah, exactly. It's just being prepared. I'll tell you the final thing and, and then we'll wrap up. I think this has been a great um, interview, Amanda. Thank you for, for answering it so comprehensively and for interrupting my monologues uh, periodically. I <laughs> uh, appreciate it. Um, a biggie is proof of funds. So yeah. if you are applying for a mortgage to buy a 200 grand house and you're putting down a 50 grand deposit, make sure that you've got your 60 grand. So that's your stamp duty and your solicitor's fees. And I'm approximating these numbers. You can work them out more accurately depending on the deal and your deposit all in an account and know and and be ready to show those bank statements, but know that they're going to want to see those funds accumulating. So unless you can show 60 grand in that account 12 months ago and you know the money sat there for 12 months 
assume that they're going to ask to see where it came from. If it came into that account three months ago, they're going to want to know where it's come from. And that's a reasonable request. So did you sell a business? Did you sell a car? Did you do a chunk of work and receive a payment for 60 grand? Was it a dividend from a company? The number of people that apply for mortgages and then go, well, I'm going to take a dividend from my company. So right now I haven't got my proof of funds. That's just opening a big can of worms. You know, mm. you're you're then going to have to show board minutes um, showing that the dividend was agreed. You're probably going to need a letter from your accountant saying that the company can afford the dividend. Yada yada yada. It just it's it's unnecessary complexity. So having your proof of funds ready and evidenced, I think, is the the final part of the jigsaw. Amanda, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for your pearls of wisdom, guys. I hope you've got value from this podcast episode. If we can help you in any way, don't hesitate to get in touch. You can check us out on www.ethicalpropertypartners.com. And until next time, happy investing. Sophisticated Property Investing, a podcast brought to you by Ethical Property Partners, the experts in sophisticated property investment. 